Well, good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter Church. Merry Christmas. A little April Fool's humor for you. Can't take the dad out of me. Love it. Staff told me not to open with that, but I got the microphone. Um, well, welcome, seriously, one more time to Encounter. Uh, we're, we're doing this series, wrapping up, called Move the Mountain. And today we're going to see as God moves the mountain called death to life again. Um, and, and, and just in case you only take like one thing out of today, one line maybe, I hope and I pray and I have been praying that it's this, that God didn't just tell a resurrection story. God is telling a resurrection story through you and through me. Uh, there's some area of your life, I know, that because Easter happened, Easter had an effect on you. And there's some area that like, maybe you've stepped out and you've turned over to God, maybe just this much. And this morning, he's going to open that a little bit more. But, but you have an Easter effect, a resurrection story that God is telling in your life. Maybe you've stepped out and have offered him that like $30 a month to sponsor one of those kids. Right? And, and you've decided to bravely, courageously sacrifice countless lattes, probably four, uh, every single month so that, you know, this kid could go to school and this kid could have something to eat or get a vaccination and, and, and have his or her life saved. And I, and I want to honor that this morning and say, that's a resurrection story. When you do something like that, because of the hope that you have in Easter, that's what we're going to call this morning an Easter effect. Uh, now, I know these things are happening like all over in our community and all over this world. And just to highlight some of them, it's so incredibly awesome and such a privilege <clears throat> to be able to see them and experience them and to kind of like walk through them uh, with you all. I know some of your stories have started uh, maybe years ago or maybe just this past year where you decided to, to set your alarm like 10 minutes early and, and to wake up as if it was on purpose in 2018, right? And, and to say, I'm going to start every day by turning over the first 10 minutes of it to him. Maybe this looks like scripture reading or praying or meditating or like whatever it is to show God that you're honoring his presence in your life. It's a resurrection story. It's something done because Easter happened. Easter had an effect. And for some of you, you know what those Easter stories are, those Easter effects are. You know what those resurrection stories are, but you don't want to share them. You don't want to share them because you don't feel like you're the right person. You don't want to share them because you're maybe afraid, because you're maybe in the middle of it right now and you haven't seen the resolution yet. You don't want to share those resurrection stories because it's way too big and it's way too much. And you don't want to share those resurrection stories maybe, maybe because you just haven't felt the right time yet. But I want to say that God isn't just telling a resurrection story through you. He's asking you to step out and to share your resurrection story as well. Uh, let, let me tell you, first of all, when you think about things in terms of it's not the right time yet, I want to read a passage for you and, and just make a couple comments about when the right time is. Um, if, uh, if you'd like to grab a Bible, they're underneath the chairs in front of you. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible at home or if you just like ours better, uh, go ahead and grab one of those and bring it home with you. That's our gift to you. We love giving those things away every single weekend, um, weekend in and weekend out. That's a gift to us. Okay, Matthew chapter 28, and we'll start off in verse 1. It says this, first three words, after the Sabbath. So when like holy time is done, at the dawn of the first day of the week, it was actually Sunday, uh, which is why we worship on Sunday, but what felt to them like Monday, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, so they're both named Mary, that's easy to remember, um, went to look at the tomb. Get this sight. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel now, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now there's so much in that passage that we just read already. It's the Easter story. It's the, it's the resurrection story. But, but I want to I wanna look at it and say, God, you, you just had like one thing wrong with this amazing story that you're telling which is a bit you know, dangerous to be able to lead with. But, but like, what, what I want to say is like, God, everything was so perfect. The violent earthquake, right? The angel dressed in all white, like lightning, like snow. The, the guards dropping like dead men. There's so many awesome elements to this story. Of course, there's the fact that your son got raised to new life, Christ. I mean, just amazing. I, except for just the timing is just a little off. Like, like God, if you really want to tell wow us, you're just running a little late. Because part of me, we want the timing to just like hit exactly right. Because Jesus died on a Friday and then all that Saturday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, that was considered Sabbath time. That was considered holy time. That was the special time. And part of me wants to like say back to God, wouldn't it have been amazing if you would have raised your son from the dead on holy time? on special time, wouldn't that have made a statement about your time during the week? And I think that one of the things that God is telling us is that what makes time special, what makes time holy, isn't when it is, but what happens during that time. Is that God is the one who takes the ordinary Monday and turns it into an extraordinary, holy, special time. I, I just think that some of us maybe need to hear that because we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate today. It's Easter and this celebration is gonna continue. And, and then maybe you're gonna get together with some friends or family or go out or like whatever you do to recognize that this day is so special. And then you're gonna wake up tomorrow and it's gonna be Monday and it's gonna be ordinary time. And there's a part of you that might wonder, like, what happened to that special time? And I want you to remember, it was after the Sabbath, it was after the holy time that God chose to say, no, 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 no. What makes time special, what makes time holy, isn't when it is, but what happens during that time, who is in that time. So, so like if you're wondering to yourself, you know, I want to share a resurrection story, I want to share an Easter effect in my life it's just, it just isn't the right time. And God is going, no, 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 it doesn't matter if it's just ordinary time. This isn't the right time. I want to wait until the church is gone and the music is playing. And like, that's the right time to share an Easter story, a resurrection story. No, no, no. God is saying, I'm in the time. I make the ordinary time extraordinary time. It's not when it is, but what it is. What happens during that time? Who is in that time? I just, I, I can't help but think of, I can't help but think of like the guy who's just experiencing a normal weekend for him in a church parking lot 
walking in with his kid's shirt on one more time and, and walking in. It's like, am I making a difference? Am I doing anything at all here? Walking in overtired, under-caffeinated, and investing into these kids' lives just to tell them about Jesus one more time. And wondering in this average kind of weekend, is this making a difference? Is this moving the needle even so much? And he doesn't know. He doesn't know until it's years later, not months, years later. He's walking in to Myers in the parking lot on a Friday evening because that's just kind of the place he is, right? <laughs> and somebody comes up to him and it's like, Mr. Adam, Mr. Adam, like I, I was in your class. You followed us through from second grade on until fifth grade. And, and, and Mr. Adam, I want to tell you, I don't remember a single lesson that you taught me. And it's like, thank you for confirming my suspicions. <laughs> no, but I remember that you remembered my name. And I remember that you cared enough to tell me a resurrection story, a Jesus story, every single weekend for those four years. You made, God made the ordinary time extraordinary. There's no such thing as a wrong time to share the effect of Easter on your life, to share your resurrection story. But I may be the wrong person. <laughs> I may be the wrong person because because I'm not smart enough or rich enough or talented enough or gifted enough or influential enough or altogether enough. <laughs> listen, listen to the passage. We'll just pick it up where we left off in verse five. Now the angel said to the women, the Marys, remember, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then that just finishes it off. Now I've told you. Now I told you, Marys. I've told you both. Get something straight in the passage that we just read. That the angel gives this message. He's not here. He is risen. Essentially gives the message of the heart of Christianity over to these two women, the Marys. And ask them to carry the message to the rest of the disciples who will carry it to the ends of the earth. And I just, I wonder, like in a world now where there are and have been billions and billions of followers of Jesus throughout the ages and even living today. And rewinding the tape all the way back to that one moment where there were just two Christians on the planet, both of them named Mary. And they're the ones that the gospel message rests with. Them and them alone. And the message, the command to them is to take that gospel message, the good news, that message of Christianity, the heart of it, to the disciples to carry it on to the rest of the world. And I look at this and I'm like, God, God, I would not have done it this way either. Like if I was going to raise Jesus from the dead, you know where I would send the angel to? I mean, I'm just petty enough, and you should probably know that around, about me. Like, I'm just petty enough to say, hey, angel, uh, instead of the Marys, instead of the disciples, why don't you show up to 
I don't know, Pilate. Why don't you show up to the high priest, Caiaphas? Why don't you show up to that whole crowd yelling a few days ago, crucify him, crucify him. Show up in your glowing robes and your earthquakes, all of them, and just say, what's up now? And then like drop a mic or something. They won't get it, but write it down. We'll, we'll get it, you know? If, if I'm in the place of trying to coordinate or trying to tell this story, I would send the angel I would send the angel to the disciples. I'd send the angel to Jesus' brother. I mean, he deserves to know first. James, your, your half-brother, like he's, he's raised from the dead. I would send the angel to go to John, the one that Jesus loved. Yeah, we get it, John. He loved you, okay? He loved the whole world. Like I would, I would send the angel to that guy. He deserves to. I would send the angel to the teacher's pet, Peter, trying to always be the first to answer the questions. I would send the angel to anybody else. To anybody else because, because in those days, and this is just going to sound harsh, but, but it's just how it was. And we have to know that because it's so important for today. In, in those days, women had, just, had no legal standing at all. In fact, in a, in a courtroom scene, they had, no, uh, le- they had no legal testimony that they could offer, even if there were two of them, even if both their names were Mary. They couldn't testify on anybody else's behalf. It counted as nothing. And so if I'm telling this story, why in the world would I pick no Jewish historian in his or her right mind would have ever made up a story like this to share with the rest of the world because it would have no like, legal standing of testimony at all. And I just love that about the Bible, that there's parts of this thing, you know, that we pick up and that we read and it just makes no sense whatsoever. And we look at it and go, that's how you know it's true. Because nobody in their right mind would have ever made up a story like that. They would have told it a hundred different ways. It's just that God didn't tell it a hundred different ways. It's that God didn't plan it a hundred different ways. God planned it this way. And he carried the message and trusted it to these two ladies And even though they had no influence, even though they weren't the right person, God said, I'm behind you and I'll make you the right person. I will make you the right person. Isn't it true that sometimes the stories that you have heard, the experiences that you've had, the leaders that you've learned from and been impacted by, what helped them get to that place where they're so influential or, or they have such a platform isn't the fact that they know so much about a certain area now, but back then, or maybe in a different life, like they had no clue whatsoever. So, so isn't, isn't it the case um, that, the, that the most, some of the most influential people of our time were not necessarily predisposed towards that position? Right? I, I think of a guy um, that God is going to use to start one of the most exponential, prolific, one of the biggest, most deeply impacted prison ministries of all time, impacting millions and millions, returning citizens, they're called, uh, people, uh, felons who get out of prison and re-enter into society 
giving themselves over to Christ along the way. And I think, isn't it fascinating to me that God chooses to use uh, not necessarily a hero of the faith, but somebody who was just recently convicted on corruption charges and is awaiting sentencing. Chuck Colson is his name. And, and, and he finds God, huh, conveniently, as one journalist put it, conveniently, just after he's found guilty and just before sentencing, he goes before the judge and goes, I found Jesus. And it's like, I'll bet you did, bud. You're still going to jail for a long time. And he did. Except Jesus really did find Chuck. And he really did live out his faith in prison. And he really did start Bible studies. Not because anybody was watching. Nobody was. But he did live out his faith. And millions and millions of people came to the faith because of what God did with a convicted felon on corruption charges. And I think, isn't that the kind of story that God loves to tell? Like it's the kind of story of the woman who goes before the, the, the class or the assembly and, and, to, and to talk about Talk about what it's like to, to get pregnant before you're ready or what it's like to be a, a teen mom. And then she says, and now I want to introduce my daughter. And you can do the math. And it's like, no, I was there. I was in those shoes. I know what that's like. And God uses the people with the unlikeliest story to tell something amazing through that particular situation or scenario. And, and the Bible has a specific word for this. In the Bible, we open it up and we read that the word for this is called redemption. Redemption is the word that was originally used uh, for a, a, an army general or a captain when somebody was tucked away behind enemy lines, captured behind enemy lines. The, the general or the captain would go to the enemy to buy back the soldier that was captured, if they were worth it, and count out the coins, count out the money that it cost to buy him back. And have you ever thought that God isn't just buying you back, but he's also buying back your story. And whatever you thought, whatever you believe separated you away from God, that God is saying, no, no, I buy all of you back and I will waste nothing, no part of your story. I want it all. Because I have an incredible resurrection story to share through you, through that part of you that you wanted to tuck away and forget about for the rest of your life. I am causing an Easter effect, a resurrection story to share. Well, maybe there's no such thing as a wrong time. Maybe there's no such thing as the wrong person if God is behind them. But some of you, I know your stories aren't done yet. It's still up in the air. It's still lingering. It's unresolved. It's not that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see the light. I just, I'm just hoping and praying that someday there will be a light at the end of the tunnel to run towards, but I don't see it right now. What do you do when I'm afraid? Let's finish off the story in verse 8. So the women, Mary and Mary, hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. 
I love that, that line. I think there's so much of the Christian life. Afraid, yet filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They, they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There, they will see me. The resurrected king, they will see me. The thing about, the thing about fear is that it monopolizes and paralyzes. And so it's one thing to say, for Jesus to say, do not be afraid. But it's a whole nother thing for Jesus to come alongside and saying, no, no, I am going with you always, wherever you go, throughout the end of the age. It's one thing just to say, do not be afraid, but it's another thing when God comes alongside us and equips us at the same time to do the very thing that he commanded. You, you could say that in this passage, as Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, it's not so much just informative as it is formative. Like, do not be afraid, but, but I am also with you to the end of the age. I'm always there, always helping, always guiding, no matter what. When Jesus, when Jesus is walking on the water, now the disciples, remember, they, they're in the boat and a storm comes, and they're like shaking apart and they're wondering like, oh my goodness, I can't even believe this. The whole thing is going to crash and we're going to drown because none of us learn how to swim even though we're fishermen. Like whatever the deal is. And, and they look over and they see what looks like, they see a ghost. And they're like, that's just what we need right now in a storm is a ghost coming at us. And then they look closer and they see, no, 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 that's Jesus. Jesus. But, but, but he's walking on the, yeah, you heard it right, on the water. He's stepping onto the waves, walking towards the boat. And, and Peter, right, they have this exchange. And Jesus says, get out of the boat. And it's one thing just to tell him, get out of the boat. It's one thing just to say, don't be afraid. It's an entirely different thing for God to come alongside and say, I'm going to give you the power to step onto the water. I think for some of you, God isn't just telling you to step out and to share your resurrection story, your Easter effect. I think he's giving you the power to do it, to walk on each one of those waves. You see, when the women, when the women followed those words of Jesus and they went to Galilee and they told the the rest. When they went and they told everybody about the resurrected king, the resurrected Lord, that Jesus was alive again, the tomb was empty. You see, I don't think that they stopped being afraid. Afraid yet with joy they ran. I don't think that the women stopped being afraid, but I think the courage that they had from the resurrected Lord was bigger than their fear. I, I don't think they stopped being afraid. I just think that the triumph that they experienced 
of Christ over death was bigger than whatever despair that they were sensing in that moment. Like, I don't think that they stopped ever being afraid, but it was the power of the resurrection that was this much bigger or more than, than all of the hopelessness that they might experience that week. And so today, and this, and this week, and, and this month, like we're going to go out of here, and I think that we're going we're gonna to live as a resurrected people. And we're going to live with, with the effects of Easter on our life. But we do that because Jesus has been resurrected. He has resurrected us as a community. He has resurrected you. He's resurrected me. In particular, for this morning, he is resurrecting a young man named Eric, who is a part of our community for quite a while. And I want to invite you to experience that story as told fearlessly from his widow. <laughs> 